Jesus, we love you. Oh, we love your spirit. We love you, Holy Spirit. I'm asking, would you come and rest on this house? Spirit of God, come even more powerfully now. Come even more powerfully now. And I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would rest upon this place. The atmosphere would be ripe with revelation. You'd fill our hearts with understanding, comprehension. I pray that power would be released in our midst. I'm asking you, Jesus, that you would minister healing and health even tonight, even here, that many would be healed even tonight. We believe you, Lord. You are the healer, and we believe you. Do what you love to do, Jesus. Do what you love to do. Good. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. I want to share a testimony with you that I heard this week. Just really powerful. Just blessed me so much. Uh, several weeks ago, some of you will remember, we had a, a, a man who is a pastor from India here. Um, he... He runs uh, several orphanages. What I didn't comprehend, I didn't know. He actually, he actually pastors seven churches. And, uh, and then he has three orphanages, and he's, he's about to start a fourth orphanage. And they minister to about 100 uh, orphans, and they've got about 500 or so people in the seven churches. And, um, and we had him testify, and, and uh, he shared about when he had been um, uh, kidnapped and beaten almost to death, and and just an amazing story of deliverance. Well, um, from that time until now, he's had residual headaches that have stayed um, just continually plaguing him. And they'll just come and go. And, and it's just from the beating that he took. They beat him mercilessly uh, for you know, quite some time. And so he was healed uh, dramatically over just a short period of time. But he's had these headaches that have, that have stayed. Well, it's interesting because he didn't even plan on coming to IHOP. Um, he was coming and visiting another ministry that we're really close friends with, and um, when I heard that he was going to be in town, I said, hey, bring him on over, and so Tanya Mims, and they brought him over, and, and we got to spend a little time, and I took him and his wife out for lunch. I didn't take him to American. I took him to Thai. I took him to some Thai food, and so uh, it was precious. They never had Thai food, and it was just great, and uh, you know, we're eating shrimp, and he'd never had shrimp before. You know, they just don't have shrimp, really. They just don't eat shrimp at every restaurant in Bangalore, India. So I was showing him how to take the tail off. It was cool. So he explains to me at lunch that while he was at the house of prayer, the Lord visited him, comes down on him. Uh, the first day that they were here, they visited us in the trailer on Global Bridegroom Fast a month ago. And so the Lord visits him in the trailer, and the Lord speaks to him and his wife about starting a house of prayer in Bangalore, India. Now get this. No, this is, this is way better than yay. I mean, this is cool. And so he, the Lord shows him. He says, you've got that building. And he had this one building that he wasn't using for meetings, and it seats 100 people. And the Lord said, I want you to go there, go home, and I want you to rally all of your churches, and I want you to set up watches for 12 hours a day. I want you to clean out that building and, and open it up for all the people from all the churches. And do you know what? They're starting this week with 12 hours a day in the village in Bangalore, India. India. Can you imagine 12 hours a day? Oh, so good. It's glorious. So he was here a few weeks ago when we were praying for healing. And uh, he was sitting right here and, uh, in the second row. And he stood for healing for these residual headaches. And so several of the people gathered around him. And uh, the power of God hit him. And he kind of went back into his chair and kind of sat down. Well, while he had been in America during this trip, they had gotten a diagnosis that his 16-year-old daughter, his 16-year-old daughter was at home, and she had been diagnosed with a hole in her heart, really a serious condition that was going to limit uh, much of her physical activity for the rest of her life. And, uh, and so they'd gotten that diagnosis. Well, he stood for the headaches that he'd been having and for the hole in the heart for his daughter, and the power of God hits him, 
And do you know, the residual headaches have completely left him. But what's more, get this, his daughter at home who had the hole in the heart, completely healed. <laughs> completely healed. <laughs> Come on! I mean, way to go, Jesus! Yes, the Lord can heal you 13 hours by playing all the way around the other side of the world. Yes, he can. This is powerful. Mm. I'm excited about it. I love it. I love Jesus. He's a healer. There's sometimes when you just feel like God could just, I mean, you know, you know he can do anything, but there's sometimes you just come together and just feel like, man, God could do anything tonight. Anything could happen. I kind of feel like that right now. You know, it's 08. You know, I don't really play the numbers thing so much, but it is. It's like the new beginning thing. And, you know, it's kind of like, what's going to happen? I just feel like that. Like, man, God could just do anything. I mean, like, if you're struggling with cancer, I mean, really, it could go away tonight. Like, for real. I mean, he just could do anything. I really believe that. If he can heal a hole in a little girl's heart halfway around the planet, he can do whatever he wants. I mean, just anything can happen. All things are possible. If you only believe. Just believe. All things are possible. So I'm going to give a little recap. We've been teaching on healing for the last several weeks. We uh, started talking uh, about five weeks ago, six weeks ago, I guess. We've done four messages, and last week was a New Year's message. We started several weeks ago, and we talked about God's uh, heart of compassion and that he heals because he's compassionate. He doesn't heal so he can look good. He doesn't heal because he's got an ego issue. He doesn't heal because we earn it. He heals because he's compassionate. He's moved with compassion. and He knows exactly where every one of us are. He knows what we feel, what we go through. Because he's moved with compassion, that's what motivates his heart, to put healing in the covenant. And then the next week we talked about his will and how his will is not subjective as it relates to the issue of healing. For he's put it in his very name. He's called himself Jehovah Rapha. And when he called himself the Lord who heals you, he settled the issue regarding his will once and forever. God is always willing to heal his people. Always willing to heal his people. And we talked about the, the, uh, the uh, man with the leprosy and how he was moved with the compassion of that, that one. And then we talked about the, the uh, Syrophoenician woman, how he was willing, even when he was outside of his uh, very narrow mandate, and he still healed her. He's always willing. And then we talked about the power of the name of Jesus. We talked about how all authority is in the name of Jesus. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, and that his name moves everything in heaven and the earth. And then he commissions us to go in his name. When he gives us his name, he gives us the ability to move in the very authority. But it's, it's not simply we use the name and sort of hope it works. It's his name by faith in his name that causes healing to manifest and power to be released. So it takes us actually saying, yes, I believe that your name has all authority, and then staying in there under the authority of the name of Jesus until the healing is manifest. And then uh, we talked about the power of the stripes of Jesus. And we talked about how there is a divine, supernatural exchange that took place when Jesus was getting beaten on the back, when he was getting his back ripped to shreds, there was a supernatural thing that was happening. Sickness was being placed on him, and healing was being placed on his followers for all time, forever. And that's why the scripture says, by his stripes, you were healed. And that's a true reality. The word of God is true. And that is a true reality. And we talked about how he didn't have to take stripes on his back. All he had to do is shed blood for the atonement. He could have, you know, he could have just been stabbed through one time, blood could have flowed, and we would have been, you know, set free from sin forever. But instead, he allows himself to be beaten mercilessly, and it pleases the Father to crush him. Because there's all sorts of things being purchased for us through his beating. And one of those things is healing. By his stripes, we were healed. And so tonight I want to talk about cultivating a community 
of faith. Cultivating a community of faith where there's faith in the atmosphere. Where there's faith in the, in the geographical location. Because if we can be a people that believe all things are possible. I mean, if we can be a people that say, you know what? God is huge. He can do whatever he wants. And I believe he will. If that can be the song of all of our hearts, I mean, anything can happen. AIDS, can AIDS get healed? Absolutely. Can, can cancer dissolve? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can, can somebody that's been in a wheelchair all their life, can they get up? Absolutely. There's something about being in the midst of a people that believe. They just believe for the, for the supernatural. They just believe for the impossible. They just, be, they just believe for it. Do you know what I'm talking about? You've been where you've had the conversation with the person, and, and they're just the one that just, man, they just, they just believe the supernatural stuff, and just, just their heart of passion for that thing, it just stirs you up, and you just go, man, I just, like, this might be real. This actually might be real, because they're stirring you up, and there's something about that camaraderie of believing, of faith, stirring something up in us. And the Bible says that rivers of living water flow out of us, out of us. Now, there's a river that flows from the throne, but there's rivers that flow out of us by the Holy Spirit. Now, think about this for a minute. If there's really spiritual rivers flowing out of each of us, and the river is, those rivers are uncorked, and there's a river of life, rivers of living water flowing out of our, our bellies, because we're believing for the supernatural, well, when we come together, there's a flood of something happening. And that's what I'm talking about, being in a community of faith, a community that is aggressively believing in the supernatural. Oh, I want it. I want it. I want to live amongst the people that believe angels could break in at any moment. I mean, that really believe that the, the, the demon-possessed person can walk in the room and just get instantaneously delivered. I want to believe, I want to be amongst a people that believe these kind of things. I want to be amongst a people that, that have their faith anchored to these realities. I don't want to just talk a good game. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to just sort of talk the, the Christian lingo and even sound a little charismatic. I really want to be locked in like I'm believing for the atmosphere to be so filled with the presence of God that when people walk in there, they just get messed up by God. That if they are demonized, they actually get delivered. If they're sick, they get healed. If they're in a wheelchair, they walk. You bring them in, they walk out. I mean, I'm believing for a, for a community that believes like this, that we would be a people that live this way. We don't, just, we don't just have sort of pep rallies and have good little talks and nice articles, but we actually lock our hearts in to seeing the reality of it. And I believe it is not just possible. I believe it is the reality that the church will walk in in the days that are directly in front of us. Somebody's going to walk in it. We might as well be them. I don't want to do... Oh. I don't want to do the version of Christianity that's just sort of got the labels and sort of got the, the titles, and we got, but we got nothing of God. I don't want to do that version. I want to do the version that's got the stuff, that's got Jesus stuff, that's got godly character for real, not just the, the whitewash on the outside, but the inside, the heart that's meek and broken for real, that's, that's really living that way. The poor in spirit heart, the one that hungers for righteousness, the one that because they live as a peacemaker, they end up receiving persecution and they have the culture and the value system and then they have the manifestation of the power of it. I want to live amongst a people like that. And we can be like that. We can. I believe we will. I believe we're going there. Let's look at Luke 5. Oh, there's some good verses in here. Verse 17. Now it happened 
on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Stop there. There were Pharisees and teachers of the law that had come from every town of Galilee, Judea, and from Jerusalem. Judea is the whole area where Jews lived. That's what that is. You look and read the commentators, and one guy says it was this area, another guy says it was that area. The reason why they don't know is because every time the Jews would get dominated by somebody and then they'd regain sovereignty, the area where they inhabited would change. But where, the point is, Judea means everywhere that Jews lived. And so it's saying, and this says, and he goes, and Jerusalem, sort of the, head, the front office. So what it's saying is the, the Pharisees and the scribes, who were the teachers of the law, because not every Pharisee was a teacher, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law all showed up from all over the place on this day. What was going on? Jesus had been blowing everyone's mind is what had been going on. He was healing so many people. It was getting noised abroad of all the miracle signs and wonders and the mighty acts that he was doing that on this particular day, they literally came, and not just the people, all the main guys from the religious establishment, they all had to come. And the reason why they were coming was they were trying to come up with a plan of what do we do with this? This guy from Nazareth is a Galilean. This guy, has got like miracles happening everywhere and he's moving the masses. We need to go and hear what he's saying. We need to make a judgment about this. And of course we know that as soon as they saw Jesus doing the mighty works, they started getting jealous. They started getting offended. And they decided, you know what we've got to do? We've got to shut it down. But on this day, all the best people were there, you know, at least in the religious establishment. They were all there. They wanted to hear what was going on. They wanted to see what was going on. Jesus had started to stir, and now they're there. And I love what that next phrase says. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. It was present to heal the lawyers, the Pharisees, and everyone else. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. I'm going to come back to that. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now, Jesus, here's where Jesus is. He's in uh, Capernaum. That's where he's at. He's in Capernaum. It's about 25 miles from his hometown where he, where he was raised in Nazareth. Now, we know he was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. But what we don't really understand, and I don't want to go into all the verses that explain it, but there, it's right there. Matthew 9 explains it. Uh, Mark 2 explains it. But do you know that Jesus actually had a place where he lived as an adult? It was Capernaum at Simon Peter's house. He stayed mostly at Simon Peter's house unless he was out traveling around. Now, if he went to Bethany, we know he stayed where? Yeah, it was, Mar it was really Martha's house. Lazarus, I think, was, Lazarus was the middle brother, and then Mary was the youngest, I believe. So in Bethany, that's where he stayed. But whenever he, and Simon the Tanners was also in Bethany. But whenever he came back from his journeys, he would stay at Capernaum. That was the main place he came back to. And so... I like in Mark's gospel the way, and Mark is taking notes from Peter. That's how Mark is writing a first-hand account of it all. But Mark takes notes from Peter, and in Mark chapter 2, he says, yeah, he was in the house. Like, he was in my house. <laughs> and so in Capernaum, Jesus would be there, and when the people would find out that Jesus was there, they would all of a sudden... A meeting came. A meeting happened. And he stayed in Capernaum for long stints. There's, there's sections of, of the uh, Gospels. You don't really realize what's going on there. It's all happening in Capernaum. Like, uh, like Matthew 9 to about Matthew 12, that's roughly all happening in Capernaum. Luke 4 and 5, it's in Capernaum mostly. You know, it says where in Luke 4 he goes to Capernaum and he stays there. And so there's these chunks of stuff that's going on and it's happening in Capernaum. 
And so here's what's going on. There's this meeting that's broken out at Peter's house, and these men have this paralyzed friend. So the men amongst themselves, they decide, you know what we're going to do? Here's what we're going to do. You know, Joe, Joe paralyzed guy, we are going to take you, and we're going to take your stretcher. We're going to carry you over to that fisherman, Simon Peter's house, and we're going to take you in. We're going to put you before Jesus, and he's going to heal you. And so Joe goes, all right, let's do it. Well, they get over there, and there's all the main guys from all over Judea, from the religious establishment, are all there. There's a crowd that's formed, and so they can't fit everybody in the house. So there's people that are going, you know, they're flowing outside of the house. They can't even get inside. And so they show up with their paralyzed friend, and they start looking around, what are we going to do? Now, the housing in first century Judea, it, it, generally, they had ladders or some sort of stairs, steep stairs, up to the houses and the, up to the rooftops of the houses. And the rooftops of the houses many times would be places where people would do recreation. Sometimes they would be up there to, uh, to do uh, like public proclamations. And so when it says, you know, if you hear it in the ear, proclaim it on the housetop, he's talking about actually gather the city around you and proclaim it to everybody that's around you. And so they look for the ladder that goes to the top of uh, Peter's house and they go up the ladder carrying their friend on the stretcher. I mean, they're like, okay, Joe, we've got this. Don't worry. We're going to tie you down. No, I'm good with ladders, Joe. Just, just stay there. Oh, for you. Yeah, stay there. They tie him down, and they head up a ladder with a paralyzed guy on a stretcher, tied to a stretcher to go on top of the house to go in through the roof because they wanted to get Joe in front of Jesus. Those guys had made a decision. There's something that's going to happen today. Joe, you're going to be healed even if we've got to take you up top of this house and, and just get a little crazy with you. Joe, you're going to be healed today. And so they go down through the tiling. Now, one commentator will tell you this, that in the uh, center or the courtyard of most houses of that day, there was an open area that would be covered by some sort of canopy that was retractable. And so it was sort of this area that you could pull this sheet across and then you could unpull it, and then that's how they got down. But another guy will tell you, no, no, he, they actually dug through the top of Peter's house and damaged the man's house. Take your pick. Either way, getting the, the paralyzed man down into the home, getting him up there and then down in there, it's no easy task. You've got you've to believe something's going to happen or you're not doing that with your paralyzed friend. You know, I mean, put your mind around it. You go to your friend's house who doesn't walk. You get him on the stretcher. You get to the meeting. Can't go in. Most of you and I go, oh, we can't make it in. Well, I'm sorry, Joe. It's not going to happen. We just have to, we'll just take you home. Those guys go, no, 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 no. Not today. <laughs> We're going up. Hold on, Joe. We're going in. I mean, that's what they do. And they get him up on the roof, and they get him down into the, into the home. <laughs> and when Jesus saw, I love it, their faith. Now, it's not to say that Joe didn't have faith. I'm guaranteeing you Joe did have faith. For Joe to let them do all that stuff to him, Joe was believing something was going to happen. For sure. But there was something about the community. When he saw their faith. Huh. I love it. When he saw their faith, he said to him, like what he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. I mean, in a certain level, it's kind of like, that's really good, but I can't walk. I mean, you know what I mean? At a certain level, it almost sounds like he didn't address the issue. And immediately, and I just love how Jesus does, he says the most flagrant, flaming, offensive thing he can right in front of all the main guys from all over the place. He goes, oh, by the way, your sins are forgiven you. I mean, you can almost kind of just feel Jesus. What do you guys think about that? And of course, they get offended. Man, your sins 
are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Why do we come here to hear this? This is a blasphemous man. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he has a word of knowledge. They're not saying it out loud. They're saying it amongst themselves. Who does he think he is? Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, says to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know. And who's the you? The entire religious establishment of the day. That you all may know that the Son of Man has the ability to forgive sins, has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. I guess so. Tear a hole in the roof of Peter's house and lower a guy on a stretcher through it. The story shows up in Matthew 9, and it shows up in Mark 2. As I'm looking at this thing, I'm going, what was happening in Capernaum that the power of God was present in the atmosphere of that place for people to be healed? See, I'm looking at that, and that's the, that's the line that sticks out to me even more than, son, your, your sins are forgiven, to you, forgiven you. Something was going on. There was a dynamic happening in the spiritual realm in Capernaum amongst the people that was causing faith to be electric in the atmosphere. The power of the Lord was present to heal everybody. I, I want to live in places like that. I mean, what would it have been like to grow up in first century Capernaum and Jesus lives down the street at the fisherman's house? And signs and wonders and miracles are breaking out all the time. I mean, Capernaum was a unique, unique place. I looked through the scriptures and found out there was very, I mean, there's so many noteworthy things that happened in Capernaum. You remember the centurion who had the, had the servant and, and uh, he came to Jesus and he said, uh, my, my servant is sick, if you'll just come. And they said, hey, this guy's a good guy. He built a, a sweet synagogue for us. He built us this really amazing synagogue. And Jesus says, you know what? I'll go with you to your house, and uh, we'll heal your servant. And, and he goes, no, 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 don't go. Don't go to my house. You're not, I'm not worthy for you to go into my house. He goes, just give the word. Because I'm a man under authority. He goes, I tell men, you go, and they go. You come, and they come. He goes, I understand you are a man under authority. The centurion got it. He goes, if you'll just give the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, go ahead, go your way. Your servant is healed. According to your faith, be it unto you. He goes back, and the servant is completely healed. Well, that was in Capernaum. Anybody remember Jairus? He had a, he had a daughter who was sick. And he gets Jesus and he says, listen, my daughter is deathly sick. And Jairus worked at the synagogue. He goes, my daughter is deathly sick. He goes, come, come to my house. Heal my daughter. And on the way, there's a crowd around Jesus. And on the way, a woman who had a flow of blood for years and years, she says to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, just the edge, she says, I'll be made well. She touches him, and power flows out of Jesus through the garment into the woman's hand, and instantly she is healed. He stops. A crowd is around him. He stops. I love Jesus. He goes, hey, who's touching me? Somebody touched me. 
They go, Jesus, everybody's touching you. He goes, no. Power left me. Power went out of me. He turned around to see the woman. She's like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. He goes, no. Your faith drew the power out of me. He goes, you're healed. In the meanwhile, Jairus' servants come back to him and go, hey, don't bother the master any longer. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. Only believe. Only believe. He goes to the house, puts out the mourners, tells her to arise. He raises her from the dead. The mourners are now unemployed. No, because they would pay the mourners to come and cry. They don't have a job. She's been raised from the dead. He says, give her a little something to eat. Where she's been, she worked up an appetite. All that happened in Capernaum. Remember the synagogue and the demon-possessed man cries out, son of David. He goes, hey, don't, don't make me known. That was Capernaum. So every time Jesus would show up in Capernaum, these people knew there is a guy that's staying at Simon Peter's house. He raises our dead and he heals our sick and he casts demons out of all of our demonized. And every time Jesus would show up, they would all instantaneously, there was a meeting that would start. They would instantaneously start having a meeting. I love how Mark 2 says it. It says, and again, he entered Capernaum After some days, it was heard that he was in the house, and immediately many gathered. I saw a little documentary on the History Channel, and they excavated this place in what they believe is ancient Capernaum. And they found uh, these ruins, these 5th century ruins of this large uh, sort of uh, church kind of a building that, that, that had been built. Well, they go underneath these ruins and they excavate it and there was a home from the first century underneath the ruins. And what they believe is that the fifth century Bedouins had built this church on top of this home. Well, when they get into the home and they start checking out the home, they realize one of the rooms in the home had been converted to a meeting place. And they believe, that the, the historians believe, it's probably the most uh, likely accurate historical landmark from Jesus' time. They really believe it's Simon Peter's house. And they showed how the one room had been converted into a meeting place. They showed how you know, they would have to serve. They had obviously had many, many gatherings. And by the sex, second century, they said that that place was obviously a church. And so then the fifth century comes along and they build this whole big you know, thing on top of it. See, Capernaum had this atmosphere of faith. Jesus lived there. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. But his adult life, he spent most of his time in Capernaum. And when he was there, signs, wonders, and miracles broke out. Matthew 8 gives a description. It goes down. Several different things that happened. And it says he stayed there at the house all day and all night, healing all who came to him and casting out demons from everybody that was demonized. That was at Capernaum. And so these men that brought the paralyzed gentlemen through the, through the roof, they had an attitude of faith. Something's going to happen if we'll just get you in there today. And when Jesus just shows up and begins to speak, the atmosphere is filled with power. Why? Because the people believed. They believed. The atmosphere was filled with power. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. I love that word power. It's the same one, Acts 1-8, you shall be filled with power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I love that word. It's a Greek word, dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite. I love that word. The atmosphere was filled with spiritual dynamite. It was one of those nights where anything can happen. Anything can happen. Paralyzed people get up in those atmospheres. 
People with AIDS walk away without AIDS. People with cancers get healed. And it has so much to do with this issue of being in a community that just believes. Just believes. Just has the reach on the inside to believe. Oh, I, I want to live there. I just think that's so significant that he saw their faith. He saw their faith. There's something so special about them who will believe. They, the group, when they believe, power is released. When a community will believe, when we'll believe, we'll just believe, just believe. Something will move. Something will move. Stephen and I were talking, Stephen, you and I were talking the other day, and he said, I think one of the biggest challenges about the United States is that we live in a culture of unbelief. We mostly don't believe. We're mostly skeptical, and we mostly don't believe. And we have a whole system of religion that sort of talks about God but believes that he does nothing. It's more, I mean, it's, it's more logical in our, in our country, it's more logical to believe that the medicine that man made will heal you. It's more logical to believe that than it is that God who created you will heal you. We live in a culture of unbelief, and I want to tell you, something's got to move in our paradigm. So we begin to believe that the very God who created us is the God who will heal us. Now listen, I am not against using medicine. I mean, you know what? I took some Advil or some ibuprofen this afternoon. I said, by your stripes, I am healed. By your stripes, okay, just, I've got to prepare. Give me the ibuprofen. No, I mean, I, I'm not against it. But I'm telling you, I'm trying to explain to you, there's a reach in me. There's a reach inside of me that wants to believe first. To live amongst the people who believe. And it's more logical in our society to believe that God will heal cancer with radiation. I mean, that, that not God will heal it, but, but that cancer will be healed with Radiation. Then it, then it is to believe that God will heal that and, and remove that. Something has got to change in our paradigm. Something has got to shift. They, their faith, their faith has to get employed so the atmosphere is filled with power. That's where I want to live. I love that little saying Jesus said, so which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise up and walk. I'm not going to go into a whole teaching on that because it's healing and the atonement. That's the whole teaching. But the point that Jesus is making, just if you've never heard it, the point that Jesus is making is this. Neither one of those is easier to say. They're both easy. And what he does is right there in front of the religious establishment, he says the thing that will offend them to reveal their hearts. And the point is this, God alone forgives sins and God alone heals bodies. And when your sins are forgiven, guess what? Your body is healed. And that's why I said, which is easier? Neither is easier. They're both the same is the point. When your sins are forgiven, healing is part of the atonement. How do we know that? Because by his stripes you were healed. Clearly part of what he died for. Clearly. Now what's interesting about Capernaum, it's 25 miles from Nazareth. There was an atmosphere of miracles in Capernaum for a season. But you know, Jesus ends up rebuking Capernaum later. He goes, if Sodom and Gomorrah had had the miracles done in it, which was done in you, it would have repented he said, Capernaum, you are exalted to the heavens. Why would he say that about that city? Well, yes, it was a prosperous city for the season, but they had God living in their midst. 
because you'll be brought down to Hades. Because though they had a, a, an atmosphere of faith, they didn't compi- combine it with obedience and repentance. So it's not just about getting power, it's about living the culture. Can you imagine, though, living amongst the people that embrace the cultural system of the kingdom of God and have faith in the power of that very kingdom above everything else? Can you imagine what it would be like if we could be those people? Beloved, we can be those people. We really can. We really, really can. So Nazareth is 25 miles away. I want you to flip over to Matthew 13. And I want to read this little commentary, this little few verses on Nazareth. Jesus has been blowing it up in Capernaum. Just to sort of give you the the way it goes, Jesus lives in Nazareth. He does his 40-day fast, and he gets baptized. He does his 40-day fast, and he comes back out of that to Capernaum. Later, he goes to Nazareth, and he begins to preach to them and, and they're going, now, this is amazing. He's got some stuff to say, but isn't this Mary's boy? We, we know him. And Luke 4 gives us the whole commentary of his preaching. Matthew tells us that he began to try to heal the sick. Now, look at this. It says, when he had come to his own country, that's Nazareth, Nazareth he taught them in their synagogue So that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? See, they've heard about the mighty works. Is this not the carpenter's son? We we remember him. Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Just in case you're wondering, and maybe you've got a Catholic background, you're wondering, was Mary a virgin forever? There's There's your text right there that shows you she wasn't. There are brothers and sisters of Jesus. That whole picture of Jesus being raised as an only child, no, he had family. <laughs> you know, he had to be like meek at the dinner table. He lived without sin. So, you know, when the little brother was whining, he treated him kindly. I mean, he did that all the way up. Maybe some of you don't have children. I know what that's like. <laughs> I have children. For them to live, like for one of those guys to live without sin, that'd be like, what is going on? That guy doesn't sin. Unbelievable. James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. And his sisters. I mean, he's got a big family. Are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Whereas Capernaum had a culture of faith, believing in the supernatural, Nazareth had a culture of unbelief. Now, I like it in Matthew, it says he did not do, but Mark, in Mark 6, verse 5, it doesn't say he did not do, it says he could not do. Anybody works there. says he could not do any miracles there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Just a couple people that had minor infirmities got healed in Nazareth. The, The dead are being raised 25 miles away in Capernaum. But in Nazareth, their their atmosphere is full of unbelief. And God in the flesh, think about it, could not do anything mighty there. How is that possible? Human agreement. God is a God that always sets it up that he partners with humans on every step of the way. Human agreement. He goes, I have the power to do anything. Will you believe? All things are possible if you believe. Now, it's not entirely upon us to sort of muster faith. Why? Because he's the author and the finisher. He starts it and he ends it. We just have to say yes to it. I mean, it's it's really pretty minor, our little point. But we have to say yes. I will believe. 
I, I like the guy who had the son who was throwing himself into the fire, and he was, you know, manifesting a demon, and, he, and, he, and the Lord goes, if, if you can believe, all things are possible. He goes, I believe. Oh, help my unbelief. <sighs> you ever feel like that guy? I so believe. Oh, please help me to believe more, God, please. I so can relate to that guy. But even if there's a reach there, I mean, that guy, actually, his son ended up getting healed. So even that reach to believe. I just think about Nazareth, and I think, oh, my goodness. How could it be that the very Son of God, that God in the flesh, could not do any mighty works there? What kind of a culture of unbelief existed in that place? And I just think these two cities, Capernaum and Nazareth, they provide for such a unique contrast. Same Jesus, same power of God, same everything. One place, he can do anything. The other place, he can hardly do anything. Why? There's something in the atmosphere. Faith. Faith was in the atmosphere. Faith. They believed. They believed for the supernatural. They believed for the uncommon. They believed for the unusual. And I think that the principle is this. When a community, when a community has a corporate faith, when a community of believers has a corporate faith, there is a greater manifestation of the power of the kingdom of God in that community. That's the principle. When a community chooses to believe, there is a greater manifestation in that community. Something moves in the atmosphere. Something switches. The power of God is present to heal. And you know what happens? Signs, wonders, and miracles break out in mass. When a community will just believe. I want to believe. I want to be a part of a community that believes. And you know what it takes? It, it doesn't take me telling you that I want to be a part of a community that believes. It doesn't take you listening to me to tell you that. It takes us getting in front of the word, looking at those verses, and with fasting and prayer, meditating on the scriptures, and determining in our heart, let God be true, and let every man and every circumstance, every demon, every situation, let it all be a liar. Let God be true. Let the word of God be true above everything we've ever experienced. And just say that I will anchor myself to these verses until the actuality of them becomes real reality in my life. And if you and I, I mean, if we'll, just, we'll just go for it. I mean, it's not going to happen tomorrow. You know, I mean, we're not going to show up tomorrow and just all of a sudden, man, there's an atmosphere of faith. Wow. But it's going to happen. If we'll dispense with believing in fantasies and falsehoods, We'll begin to anchor to the word for real. Just anchor to the word. I mean, in victory and in defeat. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just, just the word is true. It's a true above everything else. Something will move in the atmosphere. We're getting little things happening. We're getting some cool things happening. Some bigger things happening. But I want them to go, you know, there's that place. I mean, they're kind of weird. They pray all the time. But I hear if you get, a, if you get somebody with cancer in that room... They just get healed. They just get healed. No, no, no. I heard, I heard, all you have to do is sort of like drive by. Because they just get healed. No, no, I heard, all you have to do is go to the school down the street because they're getting healed down there. I mean, where does the community, where does the geography, I mean, you know what I mean? I've always wondered that. You've been to the meeting where God inhabited the room what about when he inhabits the city? Somebody's going to believe. Somebody's going to believe for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All things are possible to them that believe. There's, there's this apostolic admonition. I'm, I'm closing. I'm done. Paul and Peter 
They mention it five times in the New Testament. Peter mentions it to all the scattered churches. Paul mentions it to three of his churches, Rome, Corinth, and Philippi. He says, listen, listen. He goes, be of one mind. And I believe that has to do with, you know, not getting in divisions and divisiveness and sowing strife and things like that. I totally believe it, it, it has to do with that. But I think he's talking about what he talked about to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4. Come to the unity of the faith. Let's all believe together. Let's believe for miracles together. Let's believe for the supernatural together. Let's believe for it together. When the little person has a little testimony, let's not enter back and mind and go, oh, that's probably not real. Let's go, oh, man, yeah, let's get another one. Love believes the best, hopes all things, endures all things. Something about a community that has one mind believing the word of God Believing the supernatural features of who God is, I believe the atmosphere in that community shifts and it becomes ripe. That's what Jesus talked about when he said, If two or more are together in my name, in my name, he goes, He said, He goes, Ask whatever you want. Because that's agreement, is the idea, in faith. There's a supernatural dynamic when we come together in agreement in faith. Oh, I want it. I want to live like that. Let's get the worship team to come. I want to live amongst the people like that. I want to be those people. I don't want to just hear about Bill Johnson's cool church where they get lots of people healed. You know? And, and, and we don't need the healing so we can be cool. I just want what God promised. The kingdom of God does not consist in word, but in power, in dunamis. He said the kingdom of God consists in dunamis. Paul said, he goes, when I was among you, he goes, I didn't come to you with persuasive words of man's wisdom. because I came to you with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. I want to live like that. I want your unbelieving family member to be able to come into the place and watch the cancer victim get up and and get healed. And they go, no, that's, what, what, huh? I want them to go on tilt. And I want it to be backed by a cultural system of meekness and servanthood and giving and loving. Oh, yeah. Good, let's just stand. The values of the kingdom and the power of the kingdom. In an atmosphere of faith. An atmosphere of faith. Let's just begin to believe. Let's just begin to set our minds on Christ. Set our minds on things above.